Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel. And I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. On a previous episode, Harris and I talked about SERP versus SEO, and that is search engine results page and how that compares to search engine optimization and why you should care about where your page or any piece of content, blog, video, or your product page appears in the Google results um, or any search engine for that matter. But as of this time, Google is the powerhouse of search engines and how that helps you get views on your site and why you need to measure that. So We're coming back to this topic, and specifically, we want to talk about SEO. How do you do good SEO? How do you start by doing good SEO? And I want to start by asking Harris. Harris, you've been working on this intro CRM thing, and which we'll talk about in another episode. You've also been implementing some SEO SERP stuff. What have you found? What has worked? What hasn't? Was I full of it in the last episode that we talked about this? What's what's been going on? Well, the last episode that we did... When we went into that episode, I did not know a lot about SEO. I had actually years past once hired an SEO firm and we worked with them for a few months and it it just just, didn't work out. And for whatever reason, this was like an area of digital marketing that I had not understood and I hadn't taken the time to understand. And that was a mistake. When I listened to you walk through your process and how you've made content in the past, it felt a lot more accessible to me for the first time. And so I decided that I was going to start learning just a little bit about SEO and see. And if things made sense, I would kind of double down and try to learn more. And part of the reason why is that, you know, yeah, I'm making a product that people are searching for. There is high search volume for. And I think that that can be a nice long-term customer acquisition strategy for my product. And so I think that's the first thing just up front is making sure that what you're doing, that search is relevant. And I think for probably almost everyone listening to this show, search is relevant, not only for Google, but also the search indexing functions of maybe distributors' websites like DigiKey, if you're carried there, or Amazon. Some of the same really most of the fundamentals that apply in uh, to Google search are, are going to apply to other things as well, especially when you talk about keywords. So I decided to jump in. And the short answer is that no, you are not full of it, or at least not in, uh, in terms of what you said so far, you might be full of it in general. But what you shared with us so far is genuine, truthful, accurate information. It was super helpful. Uh, I got some tools set up, Google search console I had already had, but I wasn't really using it. Uh, I set up Uber suggest to help me track keywords. I set up uh, Ahrefs for sort of fundamental site audits. And I started using some other tools that we're going to talk about today. And lo and behold, I am starting to see ranking for some of the keywords that I'm working on and relevant keywords. And I'm seeing the organic traffic to my site go up. Uh, I'm also thinking more strategically about things like backlinks and how I'm creating my content. And I've also learned that SEO tends to lead to better content the things that Google tends to want to see uh, tend to make better pages and tend to make better user experiences. You know, they focus on time on page and things like that. So yeah, I think it's just making me better at creating content. I've learned a ton. I do think it's generating traffic for my business. And, you know, I think that I'm really excited to go deeper into this topic because I've also been working on with clients. And I think there's just a ton of opportunity here. I think that 
this is a way to build an asset for your business, a way to build ongoing lead generation and traffic demand in a way that's really unique. And because there's a lot of people doing unique things, it actually doesn't take as much effort as I thought it would to rank. And that's my biggest takeaway is that it took less effort than I thought to start seeing results sooner than I thought with SEO. Yeah. And as we've talked about before with each other and and guests on the show, it takes time. Um, you have to, you know, commit to writing content or even when it comes to like your product pages, whether you're ranking on Google or another site, you have to spend some time tweaking it and then you won't see results for a few months. That's the big kickers. It's not an immediate like, hey, spend some money on a Google AdWord and then you, you, know, you can measure ROI in a week. Like it doesn't work like that. It's like you, you tweak SEO, you make some content and then you wait six months um, and you keep doing it until you figure out like what works, what resonates with your audience and what ultimately converts some of that audience into your customers. And it just takes time, but you want to, it's, it's like growing a tree, right? You can't start pulling fruit from it in the first, you know, year sometimes. Um, it just, it, you have to water that tree, but then if you do it right, it keeps giving. That's the idea. Absolutely. And at the same time, there are some things that do generate results a lot faster. So like there are some really critical errors that you could make in your website that could be preventing you from ranking. So like if your main website title tag is something descriptive, you know, like you're a brewery and and your main website title tag because you were looking at it in, you know, Wix or Squarespace or whatever is like, you know, we like to have fun and be in the sun at a mile high above sea level or whatever. And like, you don't have your actual business name in your title tag or like, you know, whatever. So it's like, oh, microbrewery based in Denver, you know, whatever, sunshine brewing or something like that. Like if you make like the title tag of your site, for example, is such a strong indicator of what your site is about. A, a, a proper change there actually can like within a week, improve your search results, even just like for your own brand name. So there are some things that like immediately you might not realize you're making just like a very obvious mistake. And, and then you actually can see results happen really quickly, but it doesn't happen all the time. So I'm not here telling you that, but I I do just want to say, I have seen that and that, that kind of surprised me. Yeah. So like if you're say somebody like Jonathan Giorgino, you know, make sure that host adapter appears in your in that, you know, upfront on your site so that when people search for host adapter, you want to rank there. Um, Google is for all the AI that we've got into search engines. They're not that intelligent to figure out that if you don't use the word host adapter, it probably won't rank you for host adapters. Um, yes. There's some smarts that go around to like things that are close if people are searching for it. So like, you know, if search, somebody searches for something nearby, um, like a logic analyzer or scriptable logic analyzer or something, it might work. But for generally, you want to tell what you're selling, what your product is up front on your page. So Harris, I want to get into the six main things that you can do right now on your site, your content, whatever you're doing, and not worry about the other little minute SEO details. Because you can spend a career doing SEO. You absolutely can. And the thing is, is it also changes. Um, every couple of years, Google massively cha- updates their algorithms and what worked a year ago no longer applies. But I think what we're going to cover in these six main topics here. And we're going to try to get through these pretty quickly. Um, If you apply these, they should work pretty well. Um, You have to get these down before you start doing other little things like like 
meta descriptions and alt text and all these things. Um, if you're not doing these six main things, then it doesn't matter how much alt text you put in there. It won't matter. So we kind of narrowed it down. And what we're going to do is we'll put some links to blogs that you can go read in the show notes. If you want to learn more about SEO, check that out. But we want to cover these six main things. And I mostly focus on inbound marketing when it comes to like content creation, writing blogs, videos, audio, podcasts, that kind of thing. I think generally I'll I'll refer to stuff when I say content. Think about it from as a perspective of written content, content like making a blog post. Um, but it can apply to video as well. Um, but also product pages. As we mentioned, some of these, you can't control how things appear. You can't write a blog on an Amazon page. You just can't. So these still apply for learning how Amazon indexes stuff and making sure you have a good product page. So those show up in Amazon searches. Now we're not going to get into like gamifying the whole like ranking rating system of Amazon because that's a whole thing. But when it comes to creating good content and good product pages, this is what we want to talk about, how you apply SEO to it. So first up is choosing topics. This is one that I think a lot of people get hung up on that scares people. There's an infinite number of possibilities when it comes to what do I write about? What do I make a video about? This can be a tough one. And I usually hear, I talk to marketers sometimes and, and they'll, they'll say things like, okay, so it's like, well, okay, what, what type of content should I write? Well, they're like, well, listicles perform very well. And you're like, well, a listicle is not a type of content. And if you're not familiar with a listicle, that's like go to Buzzfeed and it's like the top 10 things to make your day better with your dog, right? Those perform very well because it's an easy bite size readable thing, but it's not the topic. It's not the content. Those may perform well in certain genres, but I don't find that they always perform well. Jumping on the latest formatting fad doesn't necessarily give you a good foundation for content. Um, they can help. So like pillar pages are in right now. And like, I wouldn't worry about making pillar pages until you answer the rest of the, like until you have good topics. It doesn't matter how good your pillar page is. If you don't have a good topic, it won't matter. So picking the topics um, can be tough sometimes. It, it requires you to sit down and think about stuff, including who is your audience? Who are you writing for or who are you making a video for? And is this audience the same group of people that you think might be interested in buying your product or service? You have to make sure there is a Venn diagram overlap of that because I could write about puppies all day long, but it will not drive people to hire me as a content creator consultant. Um, make sure there's an overlap. So we'll we'll use uh, Harris. We'll use you, you this time. So what's a content piece that you chose to write about for CRM? Because you're making a CRM product. Absolutely. So for me, I started with integrations because my product integrates with three different project management platforms. And so my hope is that there's going to be some and, and, and keyword research bears this out, that there's some volume of people who are looking for CRM tools that integrate with the project management tool that they're already using. So I'm sort of riding this wave of people who use Asana or Trello or Basecamp. And that is what I thought would be a really easy first topic to tackle because it's really clear what I'm going to talk about. The people are going to have some purchase intent because they're already committed to this tool. And it's pretty easy to think about what I would put on the page and, and how it would be structured. And so this is something where you've thought about people have run into problems before. You're, you're being helpful here. And that's an important distinction to make. You're trying to help people who start with, I have this, you know, Asana, whatever tool, and I want to add CRM to it. How, how do I do that? So that could be a how-to, that could be a like 
Where do I go to learn about if there's an integration at all? So that's another big thing is remember that your your topic, what you're writing about is for people. You're ultimately helping somebody or you're entertaining them. If it's not one of those two, it's probably not going to rank very well. You can write all day long about the amazing features in your product and you'll probably get some hits if you're one of the few selling such product and people are searching for those features. But if you're not being helpful in some form or fashion, you're probably not going to get too many views. So think help somebody first, sell to them second. You shouldn't sell up front. As, as soon as people get a whiff that like your your blog, your content is selling to them to say, oh, if you buy this thing, then we can help you. They're going to bounce pretty immediately. Um, so Harris, like, are you selling intro CRM right away? Or is it like trying to help people integrate other products first? So in these initial pieces of content, these are doc, uh, uh, pillar pages really that are explaining just how the integration works and and it has a sign up link because this is the page that's linked to from the directories. So I'm starting there. My next set and where the majority of my content is going to end up coming in the future is going to be building around that. So it's going to be like, oh, well, what if I just wanted to use Asana as a CRM? What are the pros of that? What are the cons of that? How could I do that? How could I keep track of my customers using Asana? So I'm starting with the selling and then working back, then working sort of up from there to the larger uh, funnels because the first place this content is likely going to be found is from the integration pages themselves, which is sort of, there's a series of assumptions there that they're using Basecamp. They're on the Basecamp integrations page. They look at all the integrations. They see one that says CRM. Once they've like gotten, gotten all the way down to that point, my base assumption is that they may be interested you know, in just using it right away because there's already these things that they've sort of pre-qualified for. And so that's why this is a little bit of an exception. But I think that if your product has support for a programming language like Python or something like that, there may be some analogs that you can um, apply for for your product or if it integrates with some other you know hardware components or modules or has some compatibility. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I don't think you're necessarily an exception there. I think you're thinking about the funnel. You're just working from the bottom up to the top of the funnel. Um, I usually stay at the top of the funnel. I, I focus on the like, how do I help people regardless of what's being sold? That's usually where my content is. Um, but if you're sole business owner, you got to think about that whole funnel. And when we say a funnel, we mean like there's a group of people who find your site, read some content that might, they might find helpful and entertaining. They may or may not come back. So a smaller group of those people then continue down to figure out what you're selling and then may ultimately buy as customers. So it's a large group of people that gets funneled down to a smaller group of people. And so Harris is focusing on that middle or maybe last part of the funnel where people are going, oh, hey, I might be considering buying something like intro CRM. But ultimately what you're doing, Harris, is create you're going to create this top of funnel layer. That's all these pages. That's like, how do I do CRM in Basecamp? How do I do it in Trello? That has nothing to do with selling your intro CRM product. And so for somebody like Jonathan Giorgino, this might be like, what is a host adapter and trying to answer that without selling his host adapter on that page. That doesn't mean you can't say, Hey, by the way, I also sell a host adapter somewhere, you know, as a sidebar or letting people know that like you do sell it or you are a business. Um, so you want to ultimately let people know that like, Hey, I'm a business, but I'm also here to help you. Um, building that trust is super important. I know we've mentioned this before, but you got to build that trust first. Um, and then you have people who like you come back to you and want to do business with you. Um, and they'll keep coming back as long as they trust you. That's super important. I think it's a bit underrated. I mean, if you lose out to somebody who's selling something better with more feature or cheaper than with more features, so be it. Um, but that trust is still pretty undervalued, I think. 
Okay, so I, the other thing that I find, I love to stick to the how to or what is questions because that's those are some of the most asked questions to Google. How to X, Y, Z. And this needs to be related. So how to script I squared C with Python, right? That might be a page. And if I was somebody like Jonathan Giorgino selling a host adapter, I might try to show people how to do that. But in that instance, it might to do that, you might need a host adapter, but you might show how to do it with like, I don't know, micro Python on some board or from a Raspberry Pi, right? You can do it without selling your product. Um, and then somewhere on your that page, say, by the way, I also sell host adapters, which can help with this. Um, but make sure that's a secondary way down at the bottom kind of thing. Is that what you found also, Harris? Yeah. An example of this is another past guest, Matt Liberty. You know, he has a post for the Joule Scope on like how to measure current. And, you know, that's like a really good example where you might be catching someone like really early on in the process. Maybe they're an engineer who is learning they have some really specific problem they need to solve. They want it to be ultra lower power. In an, in an episode, we're, we're going to talk with uh, Darian Johnson, depending on when the release order is here, but how he's designing an ultra low power product and how he's starting to go really, really deep into that. And so he may find, you know, that article that where Matt's talking about measuring current and then decide later on, oh, maybe I need a special tool for this. But your customer may not have the vocabulary or the terminology or the understanding of your product to know they even need it. And so you you do have this value in catching them early and educating them about your the category and why your product exists at all. Uh, they may not know that. And so they may not know the right magic phrase to put in. So you have to try to use these broader phrases. That's a really good point. And so saying that's a good example of like how to measure current, say, with an oscilloscope, right? You don't know you need a joule scope, at, at least yet. You may not need one, but a lot of engineers, a lot of electrical engineers and computer engineers and people doing these electronics, they're like, well, how do I measure nano amps? How do I measure small current? Or how do I even measure you know, milliamps over time? And you just don't know how to set up your scope. Uh, to do like a differential probe or something so that you can see the current changing over time, right? And you can do that with like a resistor and two probes. That's all you need to to set up this dif this differential set. Um, or maybe you eventually do need a special tool, but some of the basic ones you don't. And so having a piece of content where people can land on your page can really help. And so as we move into the second topic here is having a good title. You want to rank on the first page of Google. That should be your goal when you create some piece of content. If you're not on that first page, the joke is you basically don't exist on the internet. Um, that's not necessarily true, but was it like 95 or something percent? It's over 90% of people click on first page links in Google, which means that you're rarely going to get seen if you're on second or beyond page. So your goal is to create content and then have good SEO practices so you get to that first pages. That's what we talk about in the SERP episode of why you need to care about SERP and use it to measure your success. So getting to this title, right? So as Harris mentioned, we could have something that is, you know, how do you measure current with an oscilloscope, right? Nothing to do with selling a jewel scope. You may or may not even need to measure nano amps or something really small, but that piece of content is a good top of funnel topic. And if you write it well, you should, and follow good SEO practices, you should appear on that first Google page. So when people type that into Google, hey, how do I do this? Because Darian Johnson also had the same question and lots of engineers run into it. They might land on your site and that's what you want. The idea is you want eyeballs on your site. So the first place I start when coming up with a title, you, you got to learn the keywords. You got to spend a little bit of time figuring out a good title. I, I start with just 
Google searching. I, I search for like, well, okay. Um, I searching for, let's see, uh, measuring current on an oscilloscope, like start with that and see what other people title their posts. From there, I use a set of tools to narrow that down and get the keywords from that. Um, I know we've mentioned Uber suggest before Harris, you have a few others that you use as well to come up with good titles and good like taglines, right? For content pieces. Yeah. There's two that I've played around with that have really nice free options, which is Google trends where you can compare different search volumes for different types of terms. So, you know, using the dual scope example, like, is it measure current or is it measure electricity? How are people describing this thing? You may think of it in one way, but maybe there's another way that people are describing this thing. Google trends is really good at finding relative search volumes and understanding, you know, specifically what people are looking for. And then answer the public is another one where it combs search data, and it provides these really interesting visual diagrams that show how people are thinking about your content. And um, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different ways to describe different things. And so the bank's idea here is to make sure that you're using the same types of terms that other people are using when they think about what your product is doing. Yeah. And I haven't had much luck with answer the public, but I know lots of people love it. So give it a shot. Like it, it kind of visually maps out like other terms that can give you ideas. Um, I usually stick to Google Trends and Uber Suggest. Keep in mind, Google Trends is relative and it kind of gives you like a zero out of 100%. They don't give you actual search numbers where Uber Suggest will give you actual search numbers. Google Trends is better for comparing things like measure current versus measure power, right? Who, like which ones searched more? Um, so Google Trends is good for that. Uber Suggest will tell you things around that. So if I, if I type in measure current, Uber suggest will give you things like measure current, measure current with oscilloscope, measure current with a voltmeter, right? Like, like you're like, well, nobody's really doing that, but like it gives you the idea of what people are searching for. And those should give you ideas for your title. So a combination of those tools plus just typing stuff into Google and seeing what hits, right? What popular blogs, what popular sites are coming out of that and using that as information to get a good title. I try to go for titling my piece based on exactly what people are searching, um, give or take. So if somebody, so the recent stuff I've been working on, like an RTOS series, one of the big things is what is an RTOS? And I made sure that was one of my videos so that that showed up as a content. When somebody types, what is an RTOS? I want that to be one of the first hits that people come across. Um, and that's what, you know, because that ranks so highly as far as what people are searching, Google's going to go, oh, this person is answering that question and is going to give that to the people who search it. So title it very close to what people search using what is and how to are very good starter places to go for your titles. The other thing we want to mention is uh, keywords here, making sure we don't want to keyword stuff. Google's, if you just try to like drop every keyword into your title, Google's going to pick up on that. They've gotten really smart about people keyword stuffing. This is not the nineties with GeoCities with like keywords stuffed at the bottom of every article anymore. Um, they're going to Google figures out if it's written in English, if people are clicking on it, staying on it, and it knows if you're keyword stuffing. So don't keyword stuff, but you do want to make sure that you have the appropriate keywords. So like Harris, you may want CRM to appear or, jo- or um, yeah, Jonathan wants host adapter in some, some things or, or, you know, communication protocols and Matt may want, um, you know, current measurement or something along those lines to make sure 
that's appearing in the title or at least in like the first sentence. An example that we had from a past episode, it just reminded me as you were talking about that, was Mark Tyson, who's an attorney we've had on the show twice to talk about legal issues. But in the first episode he was with us, he talked about actually his business itself. And he talked about how he used SEO. I did an incognito search. And if you type in Seattle business lawyer, Mark Tyson's law firm is the number one search result for that phrase. And there's a number of things that he was able to do because that's a geographic based thing. So not only does he have it as in his site title, but he, he has like, you know, an address and there's Google maps listing for his firm and other ways that he could rank number one there. But you look at the results that are below him and they are definitely bigger companies, bigger directories, bigger law firms. And he was able to sort of punch above his weight because he really focused on that keyword phrase and then building around it to rank for it. And uh, I am certain that that's generating a lot of leads for his business. And it's a general term. He might look up Seattle business lawyer and someone may end up having one, uh, having a question or wanting help with something that isn't quite his thing, but at least they're on his radar and he can decide later if he wants to help that client or if he can help that client. And so that is a pretty good early broad term to catch people. And then maybe, you know, they have a really specific patent question and he refers it to someone else. Um, but yeah, keywords make a huge difference. Yeah. And if you're able, geographically limiting yourself, niching to your area is a good idea. But that's if your business provides that, right? He's a lawyer in that area. Whereas if I'm selling electronics online, ge geography doesn't mean a whole lot unless you're like just selling to US or something. Um, so but keep that in mind. The idea of niching down um, is what we'll refer to. But just make sure there's decent search volume. If you, you can niche yourself into oblivion if nobody's searching for it. Um, but the idea of like, oh, he niched himself not just as a business lawyer, but Seattle based. And if you type Seattle business lawyer into Uber suggest, you'll get an idea of like how many searches per month people are doing with that term. So that's a good place to start. Before we continue, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor, CyberCity Circuits. Harris, what can you tell us about them? Well, they're an electronics and contract manufacturing shop in Augusta, Georgia. But really what I want to tell you about is that they are very good at Twitter. If you follow at Make Augusta, you can see the CyberCity Circuits team. They've got genuinely funny memes about soldering, making your own boards, things like that. They also post really helpful articles from companies like Adafruit and Hackaday. And of course, they do all this in the spirit of helping people ship products. That's what they actually do. And Sean's going to tell you how you can save money ordering with them. But they don't just make boards. They're a really fun team. And they've got a pretty sophisticated operation. And Sean will tell you how you can save some money with them. Before I do that, Harris, I definitely want to point out one of my favorite things they post on Twitter. They show the pick and place machine and their soldering machines all the time. And they're really fascinating to watch. I love watching pick and place machines. It's just like watching this robot go really fast. So check them out on Twitter. But you can also save on their shop, cybercitycircuits.com. If you use the coupon code HelloBlinkShow, you can actually get 10% off the entire order if you're ordering from the electronics side. Or if you mention that you heard about them through the Hello Blink Show for their assembly services, you can get 25% off the assembly costs of manufacturing. Um, let's get into the other topic, Harris, here. Word count. Here's the third thing. I've read all sorts of things about, you know, what is a good word count? It used to matter. It no longer matters. Maybe one day it will matter. This is one of those things that changes with the algorithm um, and how indexing works uh, year after year. There's really no hard rule here. It has a lot to do with how you're helping people. 
in the sense that are people clicking and staying on your site and reading it? And can the indexer figure out what you're trying to say? So generally, more words can help you because it helps the indexer figure out what you're saying because they're using AI to determine what you're writing about. And this is where video can get tricky because we're not we're close to being able to have indexers figure out what's in video content. If that's not happening already, it's very, very soon or audio content. We're right around the corner from this if it's not there already. But I usually aim for about a thousand words in a blog post or a tutorial. Um, 1200 is better. I've seen super long content like your 3000 word essays can perform well in certain circles. It once again comes down to who is your audience? What are you trying to help them do? Are you trying to entertain them? Are you trying to guide them? Are you trying to teach them and figure out what's appropriate for that topic for that genre, you can search for other, what I do is I search for similar content, right? If I'm creating an RTOS thing, I'll search for, you know, what is an RTOS and read what other companies and other sites write about what is an RTOS and go, well, how can I make it better? That's, that's all I do is how can I make it better? That usually means writing more words and putting more pictures in because embedded content like pictures and video can help you. It'll Google will see it as like, oh, this has other content than just words. So it looks more readable. Um, and by the way, I, I do try to like every few paragraphs, I make sure there's an image or an embedded video. Something like that can help break it up and make it easier to read because you want to think about not how do I make this readable by an indexer? How do I make this readable by a human? How do you, as a reader, like to consume blog content? And for me, it's fairly short paragraphs, two to three sentences. Every few paragraphs, break it up with an image that helps describe what, what's going on. And that kind of makes ideal blog content. So I look at what other pages are doing. I see what I say, what can I do better than that other page? And I do that. <laughs> That's kind of where I go. My, most of my content, most of my written content ends up in around the 1200 words, and that seems to perform fairly well. Um, so that's that's the idea on word count. There's no hard and fast rule. Just make it easy to read for humans and help them. Harris, have you have you seen anything about word count here? Because this one's I find this one pretty straightforward. I think this one's really straightforward. The only two quick things I'll add is that when you look at content like a podcast, and you know, if you have an audio file or a video file, you can potentially increase your word count on a page by having a transcript of a podcast. So if you have your podcast player embedded on a page and then below it you put the written out transcript of everything that's in the podcast, that can be a great way to add words to the page and add value if someone doesn't want to listen to it right now. Um, with video, obviously you'd have like the inline captions. You may be able to put that beneath the video, but I don't think that would work as well. But if audio content is on your page, that can be a really good way to increase word count without uh, really having to recreate the wheel, right? You've already decided what you're saying once and now you're just writing it out and you can use a transcription tool like rev.com or Descript or something like that to speed that up for you or you hire someone on you know, Upwork or something like that to do it for you. So that brings up a thing that I just remembered. So thanks for pointing this out. Uh, don't duplicate content. That is a big no-no in the SEO, SEO world. Um, that does not mean transcripts, at least at this time, because somebody who's hearing impaired or, or uh, visually impaired, um, having two different forms of content, like a written version, that's a transcript and the audio version will probably help you. Um, that's fine. What I'm saying is don't copy and paste from another site. Don't copy and paste your own content. Um, if there's two pages on a site and they both have the same or super, super similar, like copied and pasted full paragraphs, 
um, Google actually deranks both pages. So you hurt yourself by copy pasting content. This is not an invitation to copy paste stuff to make writing easier. You need to create unique content. That's what Google cares about. Um, so keep that in mind. Don't copy paste stuff. That's a big no-no. So site speed. I know we've been talking about content. Um, there's another big SEO thing that you should consider here, and that is how well your site as a whole, your content, your product pages, your videos, whatever, how well does that perform when somebody browses to it? And don't just think desktop. Keep mobile in mind. What, what is it, like half of people browse or even shop on mobile now? I I, I wish I had the statistic on me, but um, it's it's a high, high number. A uh, high, high percentage of people browse on mobile. Think about it. You probably do it too. Heck, you're probably listening to this podcast on your mobile phone. Um, so keep that in mind. Your pages need to load quickly. That's hugely important. One of the things that I couldn't stand, I, I'm glad this fad is kind of gone, but there were sites for a while there. You'd go there and there was this like movie playing in the background and it was super distracting. I'm like, this has got to be killing my bandwidth. This is horrible. I don't see many of those any longer. Thank goodness. Maybe it'll come back one day. Um, but having a movie that plays in the background that loads like statically as part of the site, uh, that's got to kill your site speed. So there are some tools that help here. Um, Harris, talk about, you want to talk about the one that you used to, to go through your site. Absolutely. So I used Ahrefs. It has a really powerful webmaster tool that you can use that will basically index your site and report issues. But there are others as well. Uh, and I, you're going to touch on another one in a second here. The idea here is that basically you're going to slowly find things. You're going to make new mistakes as you create new content. And just over time, you want to be trying to fix old problems and then making fewer new mistakes. You're not going to fix every single part of your website immediately. There may be some issues with like a template or a theme that you use when you're set up in your website in the first place that you're going to need to go back and resolve or fix, or maybe some process mistake you've been making when you're creating new content where you're forgetting to make sure the images aren't huge. You want to fix old problems and then try to learn from those mistakes so you don't keep making them over and over again. And there are tools that can help you do that. So another one that I, I've used is neilpatel.com. He's got this SEO analyzer and then there's the site audit tool that's part of this. And we'll make sure all these are linked in the show notes. You can just drop your domain in there, your site, and it will just give you an SEO checklist and plenty of things we're not even talking about in this episode, but it will just say like, Hey, your site speeds really slow. Here's what we recommend to fix it. And you just follow that checklist. It's, it's, it's a, you know, maybe a day or two process. It's a weekend project. And it might seem daunting at first, but like, there's a bunch of them that like, if you just make these tiny tweaks, your site's going to be 10% faster. And you'll find that you just start getting more traffic. So care about your site speed. Um, that doesn't mean like, skimp on some images just make sure your images are scaled appropriately like don't load a 4k image and then scale it because like scale it in html because then that's going to take longer to load a lot of sites will do like a cropped image like wordpress will do this wordpress will like have like take your image and then scale it down to like a thousand by thousand or something like that and then make sure that's what's natively loading when you load the page um so go through the checklist just make sure things are loading quickly um you know maybe embedding content versus trying to have it load natively so like that's where like you can embed a youtube thing that helps a lot because then that doesn't have to load right away it can load later while somebody's like reading the page to start um just some minor tweaks that you can do but the big thing here is care about your site speed. Make sure it's loading relatively quickly. Um, 
I will also say if, if you don't have an SSL certificate, now's the time to get one. You can get them for free. Um, so do care about security, but that's not necessarily an SEO thing. Um, I, I, I know that I know that like Chrome is now devaluing um, non-SSL sites. So if you don't have an HTTPS site, uh, you get this like big warning pop up and your site suddenly looks like not legitimate anymore. So not quite related, but you want to care about uh, SSL. I will, I will make that plug. It took me forever to jump and I'm like, why didn't I do this sooner? So the other myth that I hear um, is that you have to keep people on your site all the time. I, I don't know if that was a thing, um, but I, I, I don't know if I've argued with mar- marketers about this, but I hear from marketers all the time, like we can't let people leave the site. It's, it's like you have to view every website, every business as like this trap. And as soon as you get people in the trap, you can never leave them away from the site. And I think that's just completely bogus. Um, as a, as a marketer, my job first and foremost is to help and entertain people. And if helping somebody means that like I describe what a scheduler is in an RTOS and that's like, I don't want to write about that right now, but hey, there's a great Wikipedia article that helps you. I'm going to link to that Wikipedia article or another blog post that describes it better than I do. That's somehow an ancillary piece of what I'm writing about. Like I have a main topic and I'm not going to get into these ancillary topics, but I will happily send you to like Wikipedia to learn um, what, you know, what first in first out is, right? Like, like stuff like that. I'm just going to like say, Hey, here's where you can go learn about it. Um, I'm not going to create a link soup where it's just every link out, but it's just where it's appropriate to help somebody, right? You may not know a definition to a term, but I, I don't have the time to describe in this article. If you don't happen to know it, here's a link to help you. Um, or maybe like recommended reading or something at the bottom to like help people out if they want to learn more. Um, remember when you're making content, first and foremost, you're to, there to help and entertain people not to sell them. Um, so I, I hate the idea of a site being a trap. Um, you really want to help people and you want to build trust because as soon as you come across as that sleazy used car salesman, it's hard to get that, that taste out of people's mouths and they probably won't come back. So don't view your site as a trap, view it as a way to help people. Even some of the best SEO people talk about this, like Neil Patel has a blog post about um, SEO tips. And we'll link this in the notes as well, where he says like, I link out all the time. He's like, guess what? I rank just fine. <laughs> um, and he gets lots of business. So help people. And there's actually two things on this I want to note really quick. Google wants to see that you have follow links. So you can make a link, a do not follow link, so that it doesn't get acknowledged or sort of rewarded for SEO. But Google actually does want you to have a combination of follow and do not follow links. And then from a user perspective, I've, I've seen, and I've even done this in the past, by default, making every link like a target equals blank, where it o- automatically opens in a new window because, oh, well, if they click this link, it'll take them away from my website. But you know, people are know how to open a link in a new tab, whether it's like right-clicking or control-click or whatever. So think about how the user is going to experience it, how you're interacting with other websites, and you want to be a sort of a good citizen of the net and take care of your site visitors, refer to other good sources, and making people always open a new window. I would question if you really need to do that. I I spent some time thinking about it and asking and looking around, and I don't think it's actually a good practice to do. So I've stopped doing that. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think it's a huge deal. I don't think it hugely matters, but it's just something to think about as well in the future. I, if I remember, there's a bit of a web standard that's not a it's not a hard and fast rule, but it's a kind of considered a good practice is if you click on a link, it should change the current tab, the, the current window. Um, and most people at this point know that you can like center click, control click, whatever to open a new tab. And like that's considered 
general good practices. It's not a hard and fast rule. I see plenty of places that open a new tab. Um, but if you think about how you browse, that's a good place to start. Most places you click and it takes you away from the site. And a lot of people don't want to leave the site, especially those like embedded links. That's like, hey, let me help you with this definition. Guess what? I'm opening a tab so I can read it and come back to the article. That's how I browse. And I imagine lots of people do the same. Exactly. Your article has to be good that people want to stay. Don't use little tricks and workarounds of HTML to try to like leave that tab open in their browser. Focus on, is this content good enough that they're going to go learn what first in, first out means on Wikipedia and then close that new tab they made and then go back or whatever. That's That should be your mindset as you're creating this content. Yeah. And I will say that Google will learn if you're trying to use these tricks to, to prevent it. But what's even more important is people will learn that you're doing these tricks and they will see that it's not good content and just not come back because you've lost that trust with them. Um, the other thing is you make sure make sure you link to high quality sites. Um, the, the indexer does pick up on this. If you're linking to like things that are low ranked, not considered good content. So like Wikipedia is considered one of the top sites on the internet because it's considered generally good content, truthful, generally truthful content, not always the case, but for the vast majority of time, it's been proven that Wikipedia is about as good as an encyclopedia. If I remember, I'll have to find the studies on that. Even um, better, actually. As was it? Okay, that's good to know. So it's considered one of the best sites. It's usually the when you type what is something, Wikipedia is usually the first hit. So it's considered a high quality site. So linking to something like that gives you good SEO ranking, but linking to, you know, like a, I don't know, a dark web forum somewhere. I don't know. Even know I don't even think you can do that. Um, but that's probably not going to get you good ranking. So Google tries to like rank stuff similarly. So if you're linking out and better, if you get backlinks from something like Wikipedia, that really boosts you. Um, so we won't get into getting backlinks. That's something you can do. Like if you've done all these six important things and create good content, then you can go ask people to link to your site. Um, but if you write good content, you'll find that people start linking to your site because you've written good content. That should be for it, right? It's like, it's like if you don't have a good product, I can't help you market it. Um, you can do all these sleazy sales tactics, but eventually people pick up that you're doing these sleazy sales tactics. Have good content first, then worry about like getting backlinks and all the little tweaks you can do. The final thing is measure your success, measure how you're doing, because if you're not measuring it, you're not going to learn. And if you're not learning, you're not improving. Um, everything we've just told you is completely garbage if you're not seeing what works and tweaking it um, in the future. And this might take months or years to learn and improve. But the big thing is to use some tools to figure out how well your site, how well your content is doing. And the big ones, just like how many people are viewing it and are they staying on the page and reading the content, right? Are they clicking any of the links? Are they clicking to check out who you are? But the big one I look at is like views, right? Where do I rank on Google and how many people, unique viewers are looking at my site? And there are a number of tools here. The big powerhouse is Google Analytics, but that is a bear to use. Um, Harris, you use another tool that's a little easier to navigate than Google Analytics because you can make a career on Google Analytics. Absolutely. I use Fathom Analytics and it's really simple. It's clean. It shows you unique visitors. It shows you what's happening on the site. It's just a really simple way to get a sense. And we actually use Fathom Analytics for the show as well, just to see, you know, what traffic to our website looks like. And you may not need the full most powerful, most robust thing. And there's other reasons why people might not want Google Analytics, privacy or other reasons. But the most important thing, I think a theme throughout this is you want to choose tools that you will use. I like Fathom because it's easy to use. I actually check my analytics data with Fathom 
whereas I have not in the past. There are other tools like uh, Matomo or Plausible Analytics. There's 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 lots of tools in this space, but you just want to pick something that you're going to use consistently. So you're measuring, like you were saying before, Sean. Yeah, and the other one I look at is SERP rankings. That's the other huge one that I look at because if you're not ranking on SERP, it should be no surprise why you're not getting views on your page. Um, I used to use a thing called Serpiscope, but that's an open source tool that like I, I ran on a Raspberry Pi and like had my own little server. And it's it's a project like to run Serpiscope. Um, but you honestly, basically just take the keywords or the phrase you were trying to write content for, slap that into Google and say, where is my page? And just check it every few months to see if you're on that first page. If you're not on that first page, you didn't do a good job, either SEO tools or just you're up against some juggernauts that are just hard to compete with. Um, so yeah, SERP and Fathom Analytics. There you go. So there's other tools that we want to mention. Um, whatever site you're using, whether that's WordPress, Shopify, or if you're, I don't even know if Amazon or some of these other have it, but try to see if there's plugins available to help you with SEO. And a lot of those will also give you some analytics as far as like views, time on page and that kind of thing, just to see if you're succeeding at these things. But I know that WordPress has a few SEO plugins. Um, I am drawing a blank as to which one I'm using right now, but I've used a couple. They all kind of work about the same. When you're writing a piece of content on WordPress, they just give you a checklist. Do you have this many words? Is your title this good? Like, did you break up your content? Blah, blah, blah. And it's just a checklist. You just go down this checklist and it's like, yay, you've met, you know, these basic SEO things, but it's not helping you create good content. It's just like the little tweaks you can do. Um, I know Shopify has one as well. You've mentioned a few others, right, Harris? Yeah, different website platforms are going to have different types of plugins. But ideally, you have something that's in your CMS, your content management system alongside as you're creating that content to be published live. So there's ones for Wix and Squarespace, Shopify. I use Rank Math with WordPress, but Yoast that's is another really Thank you. popular one. Yeah, Yoast is another really popular one. But you know, you have your drafting process where maybe you're in like a Google Doc or a Word document trying to create good content. And then you have this refinement stage before you publish it. And oftentimes having that in your CMS where it's going to just be totally dialed into exactly how your like header tags and links and all these things are structured on the actual site itself. It's really helpful to get that real-time feedback. So look up whatever you're using for hosting your site. Look up the name of that tool plus SEO plugin and see what's available. Yeah, and those those tools are good to help you you know, kind of tweak your SEO, but they don't answer the big questions of like title, what topic should you be writing? They don't help you answer those, which should come first and foremost. So these, these plugins are like tweaks you can do um, to make sure you're, you know, getting that like little one, 2% boost. Um, but they won't, they won't write the article for you. They won't, you know, figure out what you need to write about. That's, those are the bigger SEO topics, help people first, and then worry about the little stuff later. One thing you can learn is you know, maybe you're not ranked on that first page, or maybe you're not ranked number one or number two, take a look at what ranks highly and try to learn from them, right? You know, like if I type, what is an RTOS? I may not be number one. So I can try to learn from other pages. And from there, I I look at what is this other site? What is this other company that's doing better to create better content than me? What can I do to learn from that either to fix my page or when I do content the next time. And sometimes keep in mind that Google ranks sites higher than yours. So I may never compete with RTOS when it comes to Wikipedia, just because Wikipedia is ranked so highly um, as a site that it's considered so trustworthy by Google. It's just going to be hard to compete with 
their particular page. Um, so just keep that in mind. Don't get discouraged. If you're appearing on the first page, I, I think you're winning. If you ever get to number one, you can really celebrate the number one hit, but try to aim for that first page. That's the goal and learn from other people's content. So there are other things we didn't get to here. If you want to hear more about SEO stuff, if you think this is interesting, let us know on Twitter or shoot us an email. Info at helloblinkshow.com. Uh, let us know what you think of this. Let us know if you've tried it or what else you want to what else would you want to hear? What do you, what do you want to learn about when it comes to creating good content? Harris, anything else to add to this before we sign off? I would say let us know if you really want to us to go deeper into this topic because there's a lot more that we can do on SEO. I think we've covered it pretty well so far, but it's something I'd always avoided. I've found really nice return on it so far. If you want us to go more into this, let us know. Once again, thanks for listening and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at HelloBlinkShow. Find show notes at HelloBlinkShow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC BY 4.0 license by Skull Riza LLC and Kenny Consulting Group LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC BY 3.0 license. This song can be found at SoundCloud.com slash Amin Maxwell slash Routine.